0: But not everyone believes that biology is destiny. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count, your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson, who has a theory
1: that is the world. A pigeon learned that pecking the disk produced a reward. Then the behavior
0: of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered, or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement? The main thing is what we call schedules of reinforcement. Reinforcement reward, and you can schedule it so that a reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response from a pigeon pecking at the disc. Welcome back to Spit and Twitch, the Animal Cognition Podcast for episode uh, 26 or season 2, episode 7. I'm your host, Dave Broadbeck. I am so excited. So excited that I screwed up the first take of recording this, and I had the wrong mic input selected. Anyway, um, I'm going to correct one of the mistakes I made in the first one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm excited about this for four reasons. Reason one, um, I'm going to talk to somebody who I've wanted to talk to the podcast literally since I started the when it's when I did season one in 2015 2016 on sabbatical number one. Reason two, um, this person is somebody who is a friend of mine. And I like talking to my friends, especially when they do cool work. Reason three, I'm going to do this, I'm recording this, of course, two days before unless you're behind the fourth wall, I will be recording this face to face with this person in my house, in what's I like to call podcasting Studio B. Yes, there's more than one podcast studio in my house because I'm a loser. Um, And I'm gonna be talking to a colleague face to face about work. It's just so cool. I haven't done this since back before society collapsed. So that excites me. And this is just, I'm going to talk to somebody who does work at my university. So that's like four reasons, right? And I could probably think of more. This is i am going to talk to a really good friend of mine, somebody who I've done a bit of work with, um, I'll probably jokingly talk about it because I've, I believe I discovered that uh, chickadees don't like bad weather. Anyway, the person I'm going to talk enough about me, We're going t- I'm going to talk to today on the podcast, Dr. Jen Foote. Jennifer Foote from our biology department here at Algoma. Uh, Jen completed her BSc, uh, Honors Biology. Uh, a lot of biologists this year, right? Instead of psychologists. Anyway, uh, from uh, St. Mary's University in Halifax. And her thesis research there investigated whether neighbor stranger discriminations in song song sparrows. I'm sorry, was dis- uh, influenced by breeding stage of the female saloon. Yep. Uh, she then moved up the road or down the road. It's up the road, um, and completed her MSc in biology at Dalhousie University, also of course in Halifax, where she demonstrated that song sparrows in Nova Scotia sang like West Coast song sparrows and unlike other East Coast song sparrows. That that Nova Scotia accent, I'll tell you. Um, both her BSC and MSC work, by the way, were supervised by Colleen Barber. Jen then completed her PhD at Queen's with Lorraine Radcliffe, um, where she studied uh, dawn chorus, which is a cool topic to begin with. If you don't know what the dawn chorus is, wake up in the morning in the spring and before the sun comes up, you hear all the birds. Um, and she was looking at dawn chorus communication networks of black capped chickadees. And she demonstrated that uh, males interact vocally at dawn. Uh, and that those interactions sometimes evolved up to three or more males, which is something that I don't think people thought before that. So that's kind of cool. Um, she did a short postdoc uh, with Dan Mendel at the University of Windsor before moving to Algoma, where she set up her lab uh, in 2010 uh and her lab has a cool name it's called the oven um i got a link in the show notes you can take a look to jen's lab page and that stands for ornithology vocalization and ecology network pretty good right it's also really hot in Jen's lab. <laughs> i don't know what it is every time i've been in jen's lab it seems warm um and in fact she does study oven birds <clears throat> at the lab so you know it, it works perfectly we're going to talk about a lot of her work uh and a lot of the stuff about seasonality uh, Much of it done with undergraduates Some of it done with undergraduates who I've known Since they were like 14 Because they went to school with my daughter This is great I'm so excited to talk to Jen Foote um, And just talk to a colleague in face to face As much as, Look, it's everybody else who's been on the show And I've talked to over Zoom It's great, you guys are great But I'm going to talk to a friend of mine in my house I'm so excited uh, Anyway, without further ado Ladies and gentlemen, Jen Foote This is great. Jen, you're in my house. Hello.
1: Hi, Dave.
0: <laughs> this is neat. Uh, you haven't, of course, heard the intro where I get really excited that I'm going to actually see face to face someone who's a friend of mine and talk about science. So I'm really excited. Um, usually this is done over Zoom, which is where we've lived our lives. For the I'm last...
1: happy to not live my life there anymore.
0: <laughs> I not the greatest? <laughs> That's so nice. Um Yeah, so what we're going to do, of course, is we're going to talk a little bit with Jen. And Jen's a a professor of biology at Algoma. I've got a lot of biology people on this year. For some reason, I've been having biologists on on the show. I don't know why that is Uh, instead of psychologists. uh, Though, I guess there's a real. I mean, we we, we talk about animal behavior, animal cognition, whatever. It's not surprising that uh, we have a lot of biologists on. Did you ever take any psychology as an undergrad? or?
1: No, I actually wasn't allowed to take psychology. What? Because as a science major, okay. I, I could only take psychology as a science, and I only had room for humanities okay. oh. and social sciences like Oh, my God. That's, so it was very painful, actually, to even choose anything that I wanted <laughs> to take.
0: That's hilarious. So, I mean, I, I, that's one of the... I, I really... I don't like when that happens. I wish we wouldn't do that. I mean, we all do it. It happens. But anyway, it's long. I just... I wish there was more choice for students sometimes. And other times I wish there was less choice. <laughs> um, so you did your undergrad at St. Mary's, right? Yes, I did. OK, and you're from Halifax? I am.
1: Well, wow. from Dartmouth.
0: OK, Dartmouth. Oh, a buddy of mine who I do a podcast, another podcast with is from Dartmouth, my, the, my Mad Men podcast. Told you I'd reference it. Uh, my friend uh, Steve, and he's a, he's a prophet at St. Mary's in English, actually. Oh, nice. Um, so what, what, how did you get interested in, you know, because you're a birdsong person. How did you get interested in that stuff?
1: Well uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do
0: <laughs> <It's the laughs> I story went to of all of our lives yeah
1: assumed that the only job for someone who liked biology might be being a doctor yeah. so I started a biology major and I had one professor uh, Colleen Barber who was new at st. Mary's when I first had her as an instructor okay. and I loved her courses she taught me vertebrate anatomy uh, behavioral ecology mm. and in that class I got really excited about the things I was learning and I wanted okay. to do more so yeah. I Asked her if I could do a thesis with her, and I started studying birdsong in the field. On the first day, I had no idea about anything. <laughs> really?
0: So, so when you were doing your thesis, you literally didn't know. You just it was like, "This is cool." That's that's all it was.
1: Yeah, or more. I really wanted to work with this person, who oh, I really I love it. liked as an instructor, and I wanted to to learn from her.
0: I mean, this, and I've I've spoke, in fact, primarily this this season to to women. Um, did it matter a lot to you that she was a woman or was it just sort of ancillary or?
1: No, I think what mattered most is she took the time to explain how things worked. She cool. explained how to apply for an NSERC USRA, what a thesis was and the type of <laughs> yes. things none of my other instructors had told us. Yes. So because of that, I felt comfortable asking her.
0: Okay. Now that makes sense. I mean, it's, a lot of respect sounds like some ways like what I went through, which is, you know, I was in a third year class and a prof said, I need someone to run my RATs. And I'll pay you 500 bucks a month. It's like, what? And this is in 1987, so it's a lot of money. So I put my hand up and, you know, I, I put, I gave her, well, I didn't give her my CV, I didn't give her CV. I was 20. And, um, you know, it, she just said, oh, you did well in a class of mine before, so I'll hire you. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like she said, okay, this is a, uh, you should apply for one of these Ncercs It's like, oh, uh, I should do a what with a who now? Uh, it's amazing how very small things can, you can turn on a dime and change your life, right? Mm-hmm. And we get to do that now, which is kind of great. Um, so you did your honors thesis and then you went to Dow for your master's, right?
1: I did, but I stayed working with Colleen.
0: How did that work? Because you gave me your little bio, which I've read, <laughs> which people who are listening have heard. What? How did that work? Like she was cross-appointed at two schools or?
1: Yeah, she was just, I had an internal supervisor, Marty Leonard, who kind of guided me in the Dalhousie environment, but uh, I worked in Colleen's lab
0: at St. Mary's. Okay, gotcha. Um, And that experience, was that like a two-year program?
1: It was a two-year program. Okay,
0: so that led you to thinking wait, now I, maybe I'll do this forever. I mean, were you thinking that already at, at, for the master's thing or you, was it just when the PhD was like, this could be a career?
1: No, maybe I was one of those people that didn't really have a path. I just kind of fell into things. Like <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was doing my honors and we could apply for a master's NSERC and yep. I was, I could do it right through St. Mary's at the time and mm-hmm. they didn't even have a graduate program. Right. So I was like, well, I'll apply for a, a an NSERC and I got it so I was like well will do a master's and then when I was doing so my much, master's I applied for an so Ncerc like and me. I got one so I was like well I guess I might as well do a PhD but I still don't know what I want to do. This
0: is great because it's, it's so reminiscent I mean I, I applied to grad school because I didn't want to get a job <laughs> like <laughs> it's like I saw my friends going to job interviews wearing ties and suits and you know it's 1984 was that 84 no 88 when uh you know I graduate I went to finish my undergrad and I'm thinking well I'm not Learning how to tie a tie and taking off these stupid motorcycle boots and my black beret because I think I'm in Echo and the (laughs) Bunnyman. So you know, um, it's funny how we just fall into these things. Um, So you end up at Queens, which Queens had a pretty strong set of people. Maybe they still do. I don't. I don't know. Doing sort of birdsong stuff because in in psychology had Ron Wiseman, right?
1: Right. Who had just retired.
0: Right. Okay. So this has given me some pretty good idea then, because if he had just retired. that would be just when Chris Sturdy finished and Laurie Bloomfield finished her master's degree. Okay, right. I'm just trying to put So this... I didn't
1: meet any of them oh, at the bad. time
0: Yeah. Queens. Now, now, obviously you've <laughs> met Laurie now. Yes, we sort of worked together. Uh, so what did you work on for your, for your PhD?
1: Oh, for my PhD, I studied Black Cap Chickadee Communication oh, Networks. Yes. We had this really cool 16 microphone array, which was a, nice. a new technology at the time, and we set it up all over the forest and record entire neighborhoods and and we could look at who was singing when and yeah and how far apart they were from one of
0: now what did you find there that was surprising
1: well i don't know if anything was really surprising yeah. i think it's more that we could actually show that what we would guess would would happen well, in, well, a, in a communication yeah. network was actually happening okay so they were communicating at dawn with one another by matching and that sometimes more than two individuals were involved in those yeah. counter singing interactions and that they were listening to others. I mean, right. we would expect that, but without the technology, we couldn't really You could never it. know.
0: No, exactly. I mean, this is, this is always the, I think a lot of times this happens where, you know, those of us who do the work, we look and go, this is, we know, I know they're doing this, but I, how do I prove it? Right. And the tech has improved so drastically in the last 15, 20 years. Um, that, you know you're able to do this kind of stuff remotely well, remotely is not quite the right word I guess I got that in my head because of the way we've been living for the last 20 <laughs> months but you can you can do it sort of it is sort of remote sensing in a lot of respects so what you're doing is you're setting up microphones you're setting up cameras and and it doesn't cost three quarters of a million dollars to do sort of thing right it, it's yeah. thousands but it's not pushing millions right so it's something that's accessible to somebody that doesn't have Nobel Prize in their back pocket or something. Um, yes, I mean, and again, I, I've experienced something like, again, somewhat similar. Um, so grad school, what, what was the was there a turning point for you when you decided I'm going to go to keep in grad school and do this for fun, and maybe make this my job? Or was it like, well, I guess I'll just keep doing this.
1: Well, I was always really excited by the questions. And then the, yeah. when you answer a question, there's always another always question. Questions. Yeah, good stuff So yeah, I, I did want to keep answering questions, but I, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. That's
0: fair. I still don't know what I want to do and I'm 56 years old.
1: Yeah I, I, yeah, I agree. I still don't know what I want
0: to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to have for the lunch. Um, so your grad school experience was it something that you would say? I mean, it seems I, I see the smile on your face when, when you're talking about it. So it must have been a positive experience. Were there any times when, and I'm going to guess yes, that you felt like, why am I doing
1: this? I think every grad student yeah. has those moments. I mean, I love that's why I'm asking you that. Some grad students work. listening. <laughs> I loved doing my analysis, but sometimes it was just a lot, and things wouldn't be going right. Yeah. And, yeah. I definitely had those moments. I remember we went to a presentation by... The, the guy who does PhD comics, Jorge Chan. Oh, I think yeah, sure. Name. Anyway, he, uh, he was presenting, and and you know how all his jokes are just, his comics are just so true? I just, I, like, I started to cry. I was like, it's so true. <laughs> Why are we doing this to yeah. ourselves? Oh, believe but me. But then, I you know, I pulled myself out of that a couple days later.
0: Oh, good. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's one of these things that I, this is one of the sort of downsides, I guess, one, one might say of, of social media and stuff is that, when you go on Twitter and you look at grad students talking, and I'm not trying to invalidate anything anybody's saying, but I look at it and think, yeah, that's how it was. And I'm not saying it should always be like that and it always could be better. But it's been one of those things that I I think we all go through. And I I, I think it's good when a supervisor, for example, can say to a student, it's okay, I went through that. You're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember presenting my master's uh, proposal to the lab group and it was bad, like it was bad. Jennifer, it was horrible. I was trying to prove the null hypothesis, which from what I understand, you're not supposed to do. Mm. Uh, And after it, I I looked at my advisor and I said, "Um, I don't think I'm cut out for this. And she said, you understand this was our idea, right? And I thought, oh, right. And you're famous. Oh, okay. I guess this. <laughs> I guess I'm okay. But I mean, for a, for a period, you feel like an idiot. Right. And other times you feel like you're, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world, right? Um, did you get to meet any people when you were a grad student? Did you ever have that experience of meeting somebody who was sort of a, a huge deal and you were blown away by the fact that you were meeting them?
1: Yes, who? of course. Um, I can't even remember now. Okay. There's no moments that stick in my mind because okay. it's it's gone through. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> but I do remember I was super embarrassed because one of my colleagues was going on a field course and and um, she was she was going to meet Peter Slater. Right. And. Uh, I was like, oh, I was joking. I was like, oh, could you get my, his autograph for me? Oh my me? God, And, and she then did? she did. Oh, and that's I was gorgeous. so embarrassed when she handed me this slip of like message paper from a hotel. I was like, so glad to hear you're interested in my work, <laughs> Peter Slater. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> and that's the one that really sticks with me. That's so I've kind gorgeous. of forgot the other ones.
0: <laughs> I love it. Have you ever had that experience where someone comes up to you and just, who you don't know? Like whenever I get those little notifications from ResearchGate that said, so-and-so has cited your article. And I go, no, that can't be true. I don't even know that guy (laughs) you know like it's when somebody i know it's like oh sure of course because of course rob knows my work so of course but when it's like somebody in hungary has read some that that can't be a thing i i that's not true that's just that there's got to be a mistake here i'm going to email some people i'm going to make a few calls it's still it's still exciting after all these years um so you finish grad school you do a postdoc pretty short postdoc before you come here though right
1: yeah so i I actually took a break after my PhD because I my son was born. So yeah. I took a year and a bit off and then I on my second try got an NSERC postdoc. Yep. But right. at the same time, actually got a job.
0: <laughs> Wait, this sounds vaguely familiar. It sounds like the second so, time got an NSERC postdoc. Exactly what happened to me.
1: So I was like, "Oh, I actually thought what what am I going to do?" Cuz I really wanted to just have like that time to just do a postdoc where yeah. there's no degree pressure and I could yes. do my own research yes. and I didn't have a million responsibilities. Yeah. But at the same time, I got a job, and I asked my PhD supervisor, Lorraine Radcliffe, yep. "What should I do?" And she's like, "You got a job. You got a job. <laughs> like, you did great work, but you might never get another job. Yeah, like, that's right. jobs are hard to come by. You yep. should take it." And so I thought about it, and I was like, "Well, I guess she knows what she's talking about. That's good advice. I, I'm going to take the job." Yeah. So I just had a couple of months in between okay. before I started to okay. do my postdoc.
0: Yeah, I remember. It's funny because I remember being on the other side of this because I was interim head of the science division at the time, and I remember when we fit when when we weren't. So I guess it was probably Brandon said that. Uh, yeah, Jen isn't entirely sure because she's got this postdoc, and I was like, Whoa. and we were all thinking, what do we do? Do we call her? Do we tell? Her? And it's like, no, we can't do the hard sell, but should we? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, <laughs> so all these years later, uh, you know, thinking back to that, it was funny. I remember when you came into my office because I didn't go to your job talk because I didn't go to any of the others because I wanted to go to yours because it would be one I understand <laughs> and. Uh, I didn't go to it because I thought it wouldn't be fair to go to one and not the other because I was the chair of the search committee technically so but a non-voting person so but you still came to meet me and I had that Susan Smith book the black Cap chickadee sitting on my desk and you said wait oh Dave brought back it was it's like yeah I'm there's only one of us yeah Uh, It turns out actually there is another one, and he studies video games, and it's weird because I keep getting these things saying, "Is this your article?" It's like, no, I wish it was. That looks really cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If only my life was yeah. If only my life was (laughs) that
0: interesting, (laughs) instead of me just sitting here doing freaking podcast. Anyway, I shouldn't say that. Um, so you set up your lab here. What was that experience like for anybody who's going to be starting doing that anytime soon? Which there always are people. Starting new jobs, even though they're fewer and far between. But what's what kind of what's that experience like?
1: Well, it was hard at first. Um, it took me a few tries to get an NSERC despite having one at all other other levels. Right. Um, <laughs> and we didn't have a, a science building at the time, nope. so I actually had students who would work in my mm. office right beside me, which was great because, like, you know, I could get them to analyze acoustic data, but I couldn't make my midterms because <laughs> they'd be in my class. and they'd Be this. sitting so close that yes. I could, you know, I'd have to work on those at home. Um, But then, you know, I got a brand new lab and I got a CFI and lots of equipment. And so it just slowly built from there.
0: And it's one of these things, I think, that like everything else that's new when you do this job is you're always jumping in blind and um, especially me. (laughs) And uh, it's 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 something that it's one of these things I think people should realize they can do things, even though I think, you know, every. Let me put it this way. Every single halfway decent academic I've ever met has horrible imposter syndrome. Yes. Um, I remember uh, talking to, uh, and I've told this story before, Bill Roberts, who's somebody you've probably never heard of because he does sort of hardcore animal memory stuff. But I did my postdoc with him, and he's, he invented animal cognition along with a few other people. Well, not <laughs> he invented studying it anyway. Uh, and he said to me, he said, you know, it's too bad I'm retiring because I'm finally doing some good work. And I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, do you know who you are? <laughs> so, I mean, I think we all have that a bit. And uh, I've met people that have almost won Nobel Prizes or should be winning them. And they're still like, yeah, I'm still struggling. It's no, you're not, <laughs> you're really not. So I think it's pretty common.
1: It is, but also true is that you also have no idea how to do the things you have to do and you just figure them out. I know.
0: I think this is the thing that the, the general public, those of you out there listening that aren't people like us, no one told us how to do our jobs. Um, <laughs> we're, we're faking it. So when you eventually set things up, one of the things, you're, you're still studying bird communication, bird song, et cetera. And I mean, my recollection of the early days of this kind of work, I can think back to Peter Marler uh, and, you know, the, the 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 template and the idea that, Everybody eventually sings exactly the same way. And there's even, I've, I've, I'm thinking back to a movie, like an instructional film, and there's like a little sonogram in the bird's head in a thought bubble. And they all sing now, and they all sing like this, and they all sing at the same time, and only females sing, and blah, 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 or sorry, males sing, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of your work, in fact, I would say most of your work, is about how it's not really true, and how things are pretty variable. Is that a pretty fair statement?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, what are some of the things that you've looked at, these effects that. So, what are these things, some of these things that affect, that, that change how song um, is expressed and how it is used, so the function of it, et cetera?
1: Well. I feel like that's a million questions. Well, yeah, one it's, one. They, that maybe that's too
0: general. Let's well, think about this. Well, go ahead. Sorry.
1: I was just going to say one of the things I've been studying. I actually stumbled upon by accident, which is, seems to be the stuff. story of my life. No, that's best stuff. I was doing a, a study where my student wanted to look at light levels and how that influenced singing at dawn. So mm-hmm. we were up crazy early. Well, not actually, we were out in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I heard ovenbird singing this crazy song, and I was right. like, I heard that once when I had to get up way too early doing chickadee work too. Right. I was like, but what are they doing and why are they doing it? It's dark.
0: It's. <laughs> He's I'm like
1: worried I might walk into a bear in the dark. It's yeah. so dark. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's just investigate that a yeah. little bit. So we just took that when we took down our recorders from that, that project, we just threw them out all over the forest. And since my PhD moving into my faculty job, mm-hmm we got away from having to wire everything to a computer and actually yeah. be there to set it up and we could put these automated recorders out. That's right. And so program them to be there when we're not there. So you yeah. can be in like 50 places at once if you have nice. enough recorders. Nice. Um, so we just started recording and we found that oven birds were singing these flight songs, these longer versions of their, their primary song, which was just wedged in the middle, um, all through the night. Yes. But just one at a time. Yep. And so we we're like, Oh, well, Let's explore that vocalization. Yeah. And so we looked at uh, the time of day that they sing. So they sing more in the evening okay. and uh, at night, and they yeah. use their primary song in other parts of the day. So they vary oh, nice. which song they use according to what time of day it is. Okay.
0: And we, the way that you detect this, if this, tell me if, if I understand this correctly, and I should understand it. I've worked with Lori for all these years and you, and I've known Chris Sturdy's been a friend for 20 odd years, and I still don't quite understand all this stuff. So... When you're... What happens is software analyzes the waveform. Is that correct?
1: So we pull in the recordings and we usually visualize them as a spectrogram, not as a waveform.
0: Okay. Because... What's often, the difference?
1: Well, we're looking at amplitude versus frequency. Okay, okay, So we're okay, interested in... Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. In, I find a lot of songs look the same when you look at their amplitude. Right. But when you look at them, frequency versus time in a, in oh, okay. a ...sonogram, you can really see the details and how individuals are similar or different. Right. And so oven birds are really neat because they have uh, this repeated syllable that yeah. they do, and different individuals
0: have different syllables. But, what does it sound like? I um, mean, I'm not asking you to do a bird song. It but... sounds
1: like they're screaming teacher, 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 and getting louder oh, and louder. So that's louder. that sound.
0: Okay, this is great. Now I know what that is.
1: Yeah, so they sound like a, a child in the, you know with their hand up who's getting increasingly I mean, agitated. That's got to
0: be kind of creepy to hear at night.
1: <laughs> well, yes. But when they sing it at night, it's like they go... Ramble, 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 teacher, teacher, and then more rambling stuff. And really, we, and the cool thing is, is they don't use those extra notes anywhere else. We don't really know where they come from. And like, I'd say ninety-nine point five percent of the songs they sing in a day are just their primary teacher, teacher song. Oh, that's but yet they have this crazy cool song that they just reserve for these random moments, and it's just okay. Like, so
0: you see random moments. Is it? Do you know what the function of this is, or
1: it isn't super clear yet? Okay, in the night. We at least know from some work we did in the field that they don't respond if you play a song of a stranger, like they usually would get okay. really angry. Yes. Um, there's no change in the kind of patterning of their song following that. So they don't sing um, sooner after you play back a song of an oven bird than if you play back a white-throated sparrow, which also might sing it. In really? The but, and they also don't seem to sing a, right after their neighbors. So like the average time between two songs of different birds is like 11 minutes or something like that.
0: That's wild. Okay, yeah, I see why it's hard to figure out what the function is because I have no idea what the heck's even going. That's really So strange. they're
1: definitely not, like, countersinging with it with other males. Um, That's really weird. If you, want, if you want me to speculate what I think yeah, they're yeah, doing. Yeah, of course. Is I think they're actually <laughs> just saying, I just moved to a new place. Like, I think they're actually moving around in the night.
0: Okay. Um, so, like, they're telling others, other so they're telling Con Specifics, I'm here now just yeah. to let you know. Okay.
1: Or they just wake up and like spit out something because they're like sleep talking. I don't know. It's, it's got to be one or the other, right?
0: <laughs> so, so not like me. They just get up. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And then back to sleep. But yeah, they do. They do
1: sleep. sing them at, in the evening too, when they're fully awake. So.
0: Okay. That's fascinating. So, the, and these are ovenbirds are pretty little, right? As far as they're song. Little. They're really little. Warblers, but yeah. they
1: sing the loudest song. I swear, in the forest. That's wild. They're so so loud. Yeah. So if you think about other warblers, like, say, a black throated green or black throated blue, if okay. I set out a bunch of recorders that are linked together in time, mm-hmm. I'll see them in one of my recorders, and their sound is, won't travel to multiple sites. If I put them out, huh. if I look at an ovenbird song, it gets everywhere.
0: That's wild. It's strange. It's, it's funny how these little tiny animals can make these, this huge noise, and, I mean, clearly... They've been selected to do this, blah blah blah, but it's I I find it so what I'm looking for disconcerting when I see something that small making that much noise. Yeah. Now, of course, I don't see that well, so a lot of times I don't see birds singing. But when I do, and I see it's something other than I mean, chickadee, it's, I just get flashbacks to graduate school. But when I see something, when I see a cardinal sing, yes. and it just opens, it's got its beak open, and it's making some. It's like, how are you? I mean, I. I understand anatomically how it's done, but it still blows me away. Um, and there's that bird. I forget what it's called. The one that's the loudest bird in the world. Uh, I forget what it is. Anyway. The bellbird. bird? It, it, it might be, yes. And these... it's like 140 decibels if you're a couple oh, of meters yeah. from it. And they just scream. It's males just scream in females' faces. So it's not a, like how humans work. Um, and it's so loud that it would bust your eardrums if you were a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and know uh, did that work. And uh, it's just... Bizarre. I, I I just I, I, anyway I just get blown away by watching birds sing um another thing you've looked at is some of the seasonal variations right right um is it and again th- we had this idea and it, this goes and I'm not trying to say anything bad about Peter marler because that would be stupid but you know the original uh, conception of all this bird song stuff is birds sing in the spring then they stop, and it's not quite that it's clear right
1: it's not Quite that clear. I mean, there are some birds that sing in the fall, yeah. particularly if they have year-round territories. But the song sparrow behind our, our building sang yesterday.
0: Yeah, I've been hearing song.
1: Yes, but I mean, also this year is a bit of a weird year. Yes, it's a bit. Well, yeah. I mean, there's flowers that flower in the spring flowering right now. So I know. It's I just know. There's, st- there's warm. still new
0: apples on our tree. Yeah. I I don't know what to do. <laughs> there's so many apples. I um I almost when Brandon was here this morning I almost gave him just to take some more. <laughs> um. So you involve a lot of undergraduates in your work. Because, I mean, we don't have yet graduate students here. Yeah. Though, I mean, you've had grad students when you've been sort of cross-appointed at other universities, right? Right. Um, but we, you've, you've had a lot of under, undergrads in your lab. Um, is it? Like, when, with my honors thesis students, I treat them kind of the way I was treated as like a master's student because mm-hmm. I don't have grad students. Um, do you use that same kind of approach or...?
1: I do, yeah. So I I try to recruit students when they're in their earlier years the to work to in it. my labs. So, yes. so they can learn some of the background before they and the skills before they do their thesis. But right. Not always does that happen, but I, you know, when somebody comes to me and is like, "I really want to work on this and study birdsong," I, I can't. I just can't say no. Well, no, so of course. What are you going to say? I end up with a big lab most of the time because the students are keen to get experience.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, it's funny. I we have so many different people in our biology program that are doing. Um, disparate kinds of works. I mean, even though there's very, it seems like a, it's, it's a big department for where we are, but it's everybody else listening. It's small guys. Uh, it's what are you, six Six. of you? Six, six. Yeah. Which is a big department here. Um, and doing all kinds of different stuff. And do you find that people are like the students, you said you, you didn't know things when, when you started doing your undergrad, um, did the students today tend to know things about bird song and things like that? Or is it just like, no, they've just been to a class and thought it was cool.
1: Yeah. And I, I always try to inspire students in our classes. Of course. So like, you know, if I'm talking about plants, I talk about the people who study plants at the university yeah. how they can study plants too, if they want to. Yeah. And then, you know, I do the same when I get to my topics and I try not to, you know, overemphasize my work and, yeah. and bias students towards working yeah. with me. Um,
0: But you do throw in the odd thing like, but this is the coolest thing in the department. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, of course. course. (laughs) But I also try to
1: do the same things that I felt like I was lucky to have. Like I try to explain how to apply for research grants.
0: It's very important, you know. Um, I got a talk like that as an undergrad. Um, uh, I guess it was in my fourth year thesis class that we were told about things like how to, uh, you know, oh, you should probably write the GREs. And it's like. Huh? It's like, oh, yeah, it's in three weeks. Huh? Uh -huh. (laughs) You know, is that kind of thing? And it's nice. I try to get them in third year and tell them about this because uh, I was a real shock to me that I had to suddenly write a set of standardized exams (laughs) because I never had to do that before. Um, When you involve undergrads in the lab, do you have if you had any people that have gone on and stayed in the field or?
1: Well, one of my students went on to do a master's with me, Mandy. Right. uh, And now she teaches at Algoma as a part-time faculty member. Nice. So yeah, it's great to have her still around. We teach a field course together, which we're doing right now. Right. I steal the bird part. And that's simply because she knows way more about insects and plants than I do.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Over the summer, you were one of the first, because we were, of course, virtual all last year. You were... One of the first people to be doing face-to-face again. I think uh,
1: I was the first. Yeah, I was going to say. i was the only one.
0: Because you were out doing like an ornithology class, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So you're a trained behavioral ecologist, yet you're... I mean, ornithology isn't behavioral ecology. Did you have to sort of teach yourself all that stuff too?
1: The ornithology yeah. part? Oh, well, I took an ornithology class as an undergrad oh, okay. as well. So I kind of had that background. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually not a great... Birder. I, I would consider myself an ornithologist, but my bird ID of like things I don't see in the forest, like shorebirds, <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> so I just use the usual approach we use when teaching when we don't know what we're doing. It's yeah. like, oh... Well, let's see what that is. What do you think? No, it is? that's right. What's exactly. Up in the field guides.
0: <laughs> that's right. I think students don't often realize that when we are doing that, that's not a pedagogical thing. We actually don't yes. very often don't know, right? Um, it's funny. Uh, do you ever get the questions from people who say, "You know a lot about birds"?
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My mum still to this day. I swear to God. And mum, if you're listening, you're, you're the greatest. But you know, David, what kind of bird is that, mum? I can't even see it. I don't know. And if I'm listening, maybe. And now I know my, my daughter Maddie gets it too. You know what kind of bird? Though she knows more, like she cares more about birds. To me, they were a um, study organism. They were a means to an end. Mm-hmm. My supervisor used to say, "I don't study species; I study problems." Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not a horror. Though then you, you have to become interested in the species itself because you're not going to understand the life history, etcetera. If you, you know, but it's kind of important. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a junko expert. No it's just not who I am you know I
1: actually find that funny because people are always like oh you must know like a lot about birds I'm like I know a lot about a few birds (laughs) and a lot like I can actually take a nap and hear like the tiny chip call of a of of any species of bird I've been studying Uh, but could I identify the quiet chip calls of any of the other species absolutely not
0: no no uh (laughs) you know a lot about animal memory right Dave yeah so does my dog... Nope, 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 no, nope, Not doing that. <laughs> Sorry, that's not a game I'm playing. I don't know anything about your dog. Uh, so when you're involving students, and I mean one of the students that you've uh, studied, that had studied with you, Laura Nanny, who's now an optometrist, uh, I, I got a an excuse note signed by her. <laughs> Somebody had an eye infection and they had to get their glasses redone or something. And it's like, Laura? Oh, cool. Um, anyway... And I've known her since she was like fourteen. Um, do you see the lab work as a teaching extension, or like are they is is research and teaching are they are they intertwined? Is it possible to separate them? Are they separate things, or
1: I don't think they're separate things. I think they're one and the same. And I always tell students, yeah, that's, you know, the, that's the right if answer. you're doing a thesis with me. <laughs> Like you might be learning about one specific area of birdsong that you're studying, but what you're learning is how to manage a project, manage your time, you know, apply yourself to the correct tasks in the correct order. And it doesn't matter what you do. If you wanna be an optometrist, if you wanna be a doctor, if you want to go on to study, you know, clam diversity.
0: Why not? You can take the skills you're going
1: to learn (laughs) (laughs) and apply it um, to that. It's like, you know, I'm teaching you how to do a thing. Yeah. While you're doing this particular thing.
0: Exactly. I, I And I feel the same way. I, I, I think it's important that people understand that while we do things like try to figure out how the universe works, a very small part of it, and really most of that's for fun uh, because you can, it still is a teaching tool. And I think a good teacher is someone who's well-informed on the literature and sometimes and Making up some of the literature, making up is the wrong way to put it, but you know what I mean? Producing. Producing is a better way to put it. Me words together put, not good. Um, I think it's important that people understand that, that when you're producing science, it also helps you become a better teacher. And when you're a good teacher, I think it makes you a better scientist because you have to say to people who don't know as much as you. This is why this is an interesting topic. Because you have to do that when you write up grants and you have to do that when you write papers. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get articles from journals, I get maybe of uh, one out of every 10 is right up my alley. Like, is like, oh, yeah, well, this even cites me. This is easy. I can read this in 20 minutes and understand it. The other nine are like, yeah, I kind of know this stuff. So somebody has to convince me that this is an interesting thing in the first place, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's an important thing. Um if you were talking to people in grad school right now, what kind of advice would you give them, if any? It's a tough question, actually. So
1: don't work all the time.
0: That's a good. That's a. That's a good answer.
1: Um, that was something I wasn't always good at. Uh, Same. I, I I often were overworked. As, I guess as a grad student, but I guess I had more time as a grad student. It's After weird, I isn't had it? kids I also worked too much, which meant that I had even less time. Yep. Working maybe less hours, even though they were more than I should have been working. Yeah. Um but yeah, I find I'm now like grasping that back. Like, wait a second. I should have time to do things for myself that I enjoy. Exactly. And I think doing other things you enjoy actually makes you a better scientist.
0: I think you're right. So also like you sleep. Yes. This, it's funny. Uh, Though I
1: haven't been knitting much in a while. Yeah, I was, was going to
0: say. I mean, not that we've been in a meeting face to face in 20 months, but you were always the person who would knit in meetings. Um, and uh, I could always tell when you were really interested in something because you knit faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It
1: keeps me listening. Really? Because I find. It's easy when you have all these things and projects in your brain that you're trying to keep track of, and okay. and, and meetings can be quite horrible. Meetings are Let's horrible. Let's be honest. Yeah. Okay. Please. The worst They're, part of the job.
0: Yeah. Worst part of the job. I mean. And so yep. I tend
1: to just like you know you go off into your own head and you stop listening and then you all of a sudden have to like fake that you actually know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. But I find if I'm knitting <laughs> while I'm listening, I actually I, I pay attention. The knitting takes away that really? part of my brain that would go somewhere else and okay. stop stop paying attention. So it's actually like a distractor. I, oh, I like that. Knit at conferences too. Oh, is con- our-
0: conferences are weird now. I mean, because everybody's in their phone. It's funny you see you sit in a conference and it's like, oh, we're all acting like students when I hate when they're checking their Twitter feed. Oh, exactly. And <laughs> like, oh, I'm and I'm doing it now. My excuse is always, but I run the Twitter feed for this conference, which is one, con- one conference? Of course, I'm usually not checking that, but uh, that's just my excuse. Um, I really, really appreciate you doing this. This has been. I mean, I was excited, like I said at the beginning, just to actually see a friend of mine and talk about things. <laughs> so that was fun. But also, um, I've been wanting to talk to you about this stuff, actually, since season one. Uh, and uh, I'm really glad we got to do this. Is there, if people want to follow you on the internet or check out things you're doing, how would they do that?
1: I have a website. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the address of it off the top of my head. It will be linked uh,
0: in the show notes.
1: And uh, also on Twitter.
0: And that t- on Twitter, you are? I honestly can't remember. It's, it's also in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at deepbroadback uh, You can listen to our podcasts I do. You want to hear me and Isabel go grocery shopping, broken-area.com. You want to hear two, two over-educated white boys talk about Mad Men every Friday? Sterling Cooper, David, Steve at scdspodcast.com. Me and Steve Cloutier. And finally... How about something about, I don't know, retro television? There should be a new episode coming out of Best Episode Ever. Me and Anthony Marco uh, coming out this week. On that note, thanks so very much for doing this, Jen. But not everyone believes that biology is destiny. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count. Your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson who
1: offers a theory that is the mirror opposite of eugenics. The pigeon learned that pecking the disc produced a reward. Then the behavior of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered, or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement.
0: The main thing is what, what we call schedules of reinforcement. Reinforcement is what the layman calls reward, and you can schedule it uh, so that a reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response with a pigeon pecking a little, a little a spot on the wall, and you can reinforce with food, but you don't reinforce every time, You're every, perhaps every tenth time, or perhaps only once every minute or something like that. There are a very large number of, of schedules, and they have their uh, special effects. I put a poster, and uh, they were asking do something but... Um, the idea was you to connect the dots by 243 time never looked the same the paper. And the business buzz was thinking outside the box involved being able to put the line outside of the box to draw the line. visual box would be drawn by the line. So our body share the same genome, and so they would try to... We are a clone, if you want, and we try to help our gametes um, to go into the next generation. In this case, is a conflicting system, and um, for that reason, this is very interesting. This is a parasite, and this is um, one of the many hosts that is feeding this baby, which doesn't look at all like the like the host, and nevertheless, they manage to use precise tricks to make them do what they want.